Amen. What a little taste of what a great heaven is going to be like when we get there. Indeed, thank you, uh, Pastor Doug and choir and praise team for leading us as we sing the glory of our great and risen Savior. As we come this morning, we are going to be looking at Luke chapter 19, and we're going to be seeing a little sinner and a great Savior, a little sinner and a big Savior. And as we come this morning, I want to start by telling you a story uh, about a man who owned a gym. In fact, this man was so confident in his strength and his physical power and prowess that he made an offer. Anyone that could demonstrate that they were stronger than him would be given a thousand dollars. But there was only one catch. The catch was you had to compete in that in that test of strength with him. And the test of strength was one that he designed. He designed the test to be he would take a lemon and he would squeeze it until he was sure there was not a single drop of lemon juice left within that lemon. Indeed, he had many takers, people all from all around, professional wrestlers, wrestlers, power lifters, all sorts of people who thought that they were very, very strong men would come and they would try time after time to wring out one last drop of lemon juice out of that lemon and, and nobody was able to do it. But one day a little skinny guy walked in off the street and he looked at the man and said, you know what, I want to take you up on your thousand dollar offer. And the power, the, the owner of the facility said, okay, Okay, well, let's go back here and get a lemon. And he took the lemon and he started squeezing and he squeezed it and he squeezed it until he was sure there wasn't a single drop of lemon juice left anywhere in that lemon. And he took the lemon and he handed it over to the little skinny run. And there was much laughter. But that little man took that lemon in his hand and he took it in his hand. And all of a sudden, six drops of lemon juice fell out of that lemon into the cup. Utter silence. The man quickly paid him his thousand dollar reward and he looked at him. He said, sir, I must know what in the world is it that you do? Are you a farmhand? Are you a lumberjack? Are you something of that type that uses your hands for your livelihood? And he looked at him and said, no, sir, I'm an IRS agent. Any of us who have had dealings with IRS know that they can squeeze us like lemons, don't you? We know that they are going to squeeze everything they can out of the taxpayer. Indeed, that causes many people to try to cheat, try to skip out and run around the liability that they they owe in their taxes. In fact, the IRS published a letter a few years back that read this way. Enclosed, you will find a check for $150. I cheated on my income tax return last year and have not been able to sleep ever since. If I still have trouble sleeping, I'll send you the rest. (laughs) This morning we are focusing on a high-ranking tax man who cheated not on his return but on everybody else's return. You see, Zacchaeus was a man in Jericho who was the chief tax collector and he had figured out how to skim some money off the top so that he could take it and put it in his pocket and he could be well off. Indeed, he was a man who knew how to squeeze every last drop out of the people's lives and livelihoods within his community. community, And yet his life was a 
lonely, miserable existence because he was hated and reviled by even his own people in his community. And because of his corruption and the fact that he worked for the people who oppressed his community, his fellow Jews, they mocked him and they ridiculed him. But on this day, on this particular day, there was a man named Jesus who came walking past where Zacchaeus was. And this man, Jesus, took time to look at the little sinner and in that day this little sinner named Zacchaeus who knew how to squeeze everything out of everyone else and and end up with it all in his pockets this little man Zacchaeus met a great big savior named Jesus my question to you this morning is have you met that big savior named Jesus do you understand and perceive that you and I are little sinners that but that we need a big Savior named Jesus. And this morning as we come, let's take our Bibles and turn to Luke 19 and let's see the story unfold as a little sinner meets a great big Savior. Let's stand now in honor of the reading of this God's holy and inspired Word and let's begin in Luke 19 verses 1 through 10. He, being Jesus, entered Jericho and was passing through. And there was a man called by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and he was rich. Zacchaeus was trying to see who Jesus was and was unable because of the crowd, for he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree in order to see him, for he was about to pass through that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down. For today, I must stay at your house. And he hurried and came down and received him gladly. When they saw it, they all began to grumble, saying, He has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my possessions I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will give back four times as much. Jesus said to him, Today, salvation has come to this house because he too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. For the son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Father, thank you for coming to seek and sending Jesus to seek and to save that which was lost. Lord, we come today knowing that we are sinners by nature and by choice, but Father, that you have given your great Savior, Jesus Christ, to to redeem us, to make us sons and daughters of the Most High. Lord, as we study this passage today, may you show us our sin, May may you show us your Savior, and may you allow us in your grace to surrender everything to him and to him alone. Lord, may you change us and transform form us by your grace and for your glory. Father, we ask now that you would speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. In Jesus' name, amen. We see in this passage that Jesus is the great Savior that comes to seek and save lost sinners. Jesus is the great Savior that comes to seek and save the lost sinners. That's what the passage is about. And that is not only what this passage is about. That's what the entirety of the Bible is about. That's what's going on. That's what's unfolding within the pages of Scripture. It is talking and telling us of the redemptive story of how a great and glorious God, a gracious God, reaches out to sinners, brings them into His kingdom, and 
and cleans them up to make them sons and daughters of his eternal kingdom. As we come today, we are going to see, uh, uh, we are going to hear about a story where a sinner sees the Savior, where the Savior seeks the sinner, and where the Savior saves the sinner. And as we begin today, let us understand that every detail of this story is to show us, every detail of this Bible is to show us and tell us about Jesus, who is the great Savior that comes to seek and save the lost sinner. As we come today, let's begin there in verses 1 through 4, where we are told a sinner sees the Savior. Now, you've got to understand, Jesus is walking along. He's done great and mighty miracles. He's been teaching as he's going. He's doing all kinds of things as he's on his way to Jerusalem. And as he's pressing on towards Jerusalem, he enters Jericho. And Jericho is some 17 miles east, east, northeast of the city of Jerusalem. But understand, Jesus is headed to Jerusalem. And this is going to be his final trip to Jerusalem because Jesus is going to be a participant in the midst of celebrating Passover. But ultimately, what is going Going to unfold in that week is that Jesus isn't only going to be a participant in Passover, he's going to become our Passover. He's going to go to the cross to suffer and die for your sins and for my sins. He's going there to for, so that we might be able to be forgiven for our sins. And so Jesus is headed to Jerusalem, but he goes by way of Jericho. And Jericho is a wealthy city. And like I said, it, it is there uh, about 17 miles from Jerusalem. And it's famous for its balm and, medicinal, and the medicinal qualities of its balm. But it is also famous because it's a main thoroughfare on the trade route between eastern and western provinces, between Damascus in the east and between Egypt in the west. Indeed, Jericho is in the midst of that trade route. So it is a very profitable, very wealthy, very well-to-do city. It's a great place to be a tax man because everything had to come through you. It was a great place to be the chief tax man because everything had to come through you and your oversight. In verse 2, we are introduced to this wealthy man who was a tax collector in Jericho. And his name, in fact, he's a tax collector in chief. And his name is Zacchaeus. Now, the irony of irony is this man's name actually means pure and righteous. Think about that for just a second. His name means pure and righteous, but everything we know about tax collectors is they were among the most ridiculed, disrespected people within the culture, weren't they? Throughout the course of the New Testament, we always see them uh, associated with all those who are undesirable. In Luke chapter 5.30, they said about Jesus, He associates with the tax collectors and sinners. In Matthew 21.31 and 32, they are grouped with the adulterers or with the prostitutes and harlots. In Luke chapter 18 verse 11, that we see a prayer where, where a man who considers himself very righteous in and of himself prays this prayer, God God, I thank you that I am not like the swindlers, not like the unjust, not like the adulterers, or even this tax collector. Not a very desirable group, huh? It's not what you want to do. And so irony is played upon as this man whose name means pure and righteous is associated with those who are the most undesirable in the society. But in addition to his profession, he's got another issue, and that is the problem. He's a very wealthy man. 
It makes mention of that in verse 2. I I believe it's very important uh, to Dr. Luke because Luke is uh, following this story on the hills of Luke 18 where where Jesus has interacted with the rich young ruler. In fact, as he spoke to the rich young ruler who had claimed that he had obeyed every moral command of the law since the time of his youth, he asked Jesus, Jesus, I want to know what must I do to be saved? What must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus eventually answers his question by saying what? You must sell all that you have, give it to the poor, and follow me. The rich young ruler, when he heard these things, he goes away sad. Why was he sad? Because he had much. He was extremely rich. And so this story is following on the hills of where Jesus is making a a point and Luke is cluing us in that indeed uh, it is hard for those who are wealthy in this world to give up everything in order to follow and uh, follow Christ and to become a part of his kingdom. Indeed, the rich young ruler couldn't give up his wealth because it was too great for him. Indeed, good religious Jews of Jesus's day would have looked around and said, well, this man attends the synagogue regularly. He's there all the time. This man, he gives to the synagogue. Maybe even he's a leader in the synagogue. This man is very wealthy indeed. That must mean God has blessed him. Maybe he even gives 10% of everything he has to God. Surely, if there's anybody getting into God's kingdom, it's this guy. That's what he said. That's what's being pointed out. And yet Jesus turns and says, listen, It's hard for a wealthy man to get into the kingdom of God. In fact, it's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into my kingdom. This greatly distresses the disciples. Well, how can anybody get in at that point? Is there any way for any of us to get into the kingdom? And he says, with mere men, these things are impossible. It's not just hard to get into the kingdom by yourself on your own merits and in your own good works. It's impossible. But these things, though they are impossible with men, with God, all things are possible. With God, all things, even salvation of the soul of sinners is possible. And so what we see here is a is a play. First of all, this man is not respected within his community. He has not got a desirable uh, position in the community. Second of all, he's got great wealth. There are two problems with him entering into the kingdom. Surely there's no way that this sinner named Zacchaeus will ever get into Jesus' kingdom, right? Well, Jesus is passing by Jericho and here is Zacchaeus, one of the wealthiest men wanting to see, wanting to know who Jesus is, wanting to find out what's going on. And yet there's a crowd pressing in around Jesus and they're asking for Jesus to do things. They're listening to his teaching. They're wanting to be touched and to be healed. And the crowd is pressing in. And so short little Zacchaeus, this man who has great wealth, doesn't have the ability to press through the crowd and get to Jesus to find out who he is and what he's all about. Can't you? just picture Zacchaeus on the edge of the crowd a little bit like Tigger boing 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 trying to look over the top of the crowd to see what's going on can't you just imagine that there are some in the crowd that recognize Zacchaeus and know what he's done and they're probably throwing elbows and kicking and making sure he doesn't get through can't you just imagine that but understand Zacchaeus's biggest problem that day wasn't his physical stature It was his spiritual stature. 
Because Isaiah 59 verse 2 says our iniquities have separated us from God. You see, Zacchaeus wasn't just short by man's measurements. He came up short by God's measurements. He didn't live up to his name pure or righteous in his own ability. He came up well short of being able to enter into a relationship with God. See, Zacchaeus was morally lost. He was a sinner by nature and by choice and had done things contrary to God's law. He was intellectually lost because he didn't know who Jesus was. He didn't understand exactly who Jesus was. He was socially lost because he was despised and rejected within his own community. But notice, he doesn't let his size, he doesn't let his occupation, he doesn't let his reputation, and he doesn't let his wealth stand in the way of him finding out who Jesus is. So this this man who has great wealth, did an undignified, unexplainable action. He hikes up his robe, possibly throws it over his shoulder, and he runs ahead of the crowd, and he starts to climb up in the tree so he can see who Jesus is. What in the world are you doing, Zacchaeus? Don't you know people are just going to ridicule you and revile you even more? Why did he want to know who Jesus was? Maybe he had heard the stories about blind Bart, the guy Bartimaeus outside of the city of Jericho that Jesus had healed yesterday. The man who had been blind and now he could see. Maybe he had heard about Jesus' great sermons and the Sermon on the Mount, the mighty miracles as he fed the multitudes. Maybe he had heard all the different works that Jesus had done throughout his ministry and he just wanted to wanted to see and know who Jesus was. Maybe that day, indeed, Zach, Zacchaeus couldn't even explain why he was compelled to go out and to hear Jesus, to go out and to see and find out exactly who Jesus was. Perhaps you're here today and you don't even know really why you got up this morning, put on your clothes and came down to Adamsville Baptist Church. You don't even know and understand all the reasons that you're sitting here today. But understand, in the midst of that, we serve a God that draws us to Himself, that compels people to come and to check out, to find out who He is is and what he what he is all about and so today maybe you can't explain it but there's something that draws a person to the majesty and to the message and ministry of Jesus Christ and I remember as a young boy sitting there time after time hearing those stories about Jesus and going man I'm interested to find out who he is and what he's about Zacchaeus a little sinner lets nothing hinder him from running and climbing a tree to fulfill his desire to see who the Lord is. Let me ask you this morning, are you willing to pay any price to sacrifice anything in this life in order to find out who Jesus is? Are you willing to leave the crowd behind and to run, to even be embarrassed or undignified in the midst of our culture, in the midst of our community, and to, in order to see and to know who Jesus is? Listen, we see in this story that it begins with a sinner who sees the Savior. But the second thing we need to see this morning is that there is a Savior who is seeking the sinner. A Savior who seeks the sinner. 
And see, while the story begins and it appears as if the sinner is seeking out the Savior, we now see that it is really turning and becoming to be, coming to be about a Savior who is seeking the sinner. Even in the midst of the crowd, Jesus Christ sees this strange scene of a rich man up a tree. Can't you just imagine walking down the, down the road and there all of a sudden you see the richest man in our community up a tree and you're wondering what in the world is he doing up there what's wrong with this guy Jesus is intensely personal he doesn't gloss it over he doesn't waltz by it he doesn't just keep on walking he stops he looks up he sees Zacchaeus this man of short stature who didn't measure up to to the social structure of his day and who doesn't measure up to God's standards of eternity and he looks up and he says Zacchaeus hurry up and come down For I'm going to your house today. I'm going to your house. Immediately, Zacchaeus said, he doesn't say, oh, well, let me think. Did I clean up this morning before I left? Ladies, you know what I'm asking. Everything in place, everything ready. Can I invite him over? Is that safe? Is that okay? He doesn't think. He simply responds gladly, rejoicing. He received the summons of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Zacchaeus is leading Jesus to his house. And now we don't get a lot of details on the conversation. We don't understand everything that it unfolds. But we see later that he emerges from this time with the Lord different than when he entered into this time. But as usually the case, there are some grumblers. There are some complainers did you just see what jesus did did you see where he went did you see whose home jesus is going to can't you just imagine the scuttlebutt running around jericho that day a little bit like the scuttlebutt in goldsboro right we know it's there question might have been asked well why zacchaeus well aren't there better men in jericho than zacchaeus aren't there more righteous men in jericho Aren't there people who are more religious in Jericho? And if we're tempted to go in that direction, what we need to see is we haven't changed anything from the Pharisees of Jesus' day who stood around and grumbled at who the Savior was reaching out to. See, Romans 3.10-12 through 12 tells us that indeed there is not a person in this world who is qualified in and of themselves to be acceptable to God. It says this, there is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside together. They have become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. In Isaiah 64, verse 6, it says, for all of us have become like one who is unclean. All our righteous deeds are like filthy the garments man my best work your best work doesn't make me acceptable to the living God how serious is your sin and how serious is my sin See, God's call of redemption doesn't come to worthy men. It comes to unworthy sinners. It doesn't come to those who are well. For Jesus says in another passage that indeed none who who are well are in need of a physician. But I have come as the great physician to what? To minister to those who are sick, to heal those who are sick. Nothing in any man ever makes us deserving of the invitation of the Master to come and join Him in His eternal kingdom. 
Jesus always makes the first move in redemption by coming to dead sinners and offering life full and free to us. And the question for you, the question for me is, have we heard that call to come and follow him? Have we received that call? See, it was, a, it was thought of as an act of wickedness in Jesus' day. Culturally, it was thought of as an act of wickedness if you partook of, somebody, uh, of the fruit of somebody's earnings who were tainted by sin. And so they look and they point fingers and say, Hey, look, he's going with that sinner Zacchaeus. Yeah, but you're a sinner too, right? And I'm a sinner too, right? So we are all unworthy of the Savior coming to us. And as we study through this passage, Jesus didn't just wait for Zacchaeus to ask him to come to his house. Do you notice the Savior, the sinless one, reaches out to the one who needs a Savior? He seeks out Zacchaeus and says, Zacchaeus, come down. I'm going to your house today. He doesn't even bother waiting to be asked. He invites himself. Jesus is the Savior of the world. He's in the business of seeking and saving that which is lost to sin. Jesus knew exactly who Zacchaeus was. He knew exactly what he had done. He He knew exactly why Zacchaeus needed him to come into his house and spend time with him that day. In fact, I believe the point of verses 5 through 7 are very clear. It is to reverse our image of this passage. It is to reverse our thinking and our perspective on this passage because it moves us from thinking this passage is all about sinners who seek out God to seeing that this passage is really about a great Savior, a big Savior who seeks out sinners. Isn't that different? Because the world tells us what we must do to get to God. But the Bible tells us what God has done to get to us. How a great Savior, a big Savior has reached out to little sinners. Story is told about a hunting dog who was very dear to his master. He was uh, one of his most beloved uh, friends in all the world. In fact, if you had had to know the truth, this dog was more precious to the master than anything else or anyone else within the world. And he loved this dog. But one day as they were hunting, they became separated and the master began to look frantically for the dog. He feverishly called for the dog and just kept on walking back and forth. Finally, dark was coming and it was time for him to get back to an appointment in town and he was going to have to leave his beloved dog there in the midst of the wilderness and he wondered will I ever see the dog again is this ever going to change how in the world am I going to ever find my beloved friend and he finally took his t-shirt off he laid it under the low hanging branches of a bush and there he left it and the next day when he drove back out to the property and he got out of his truck he looked and there under those branches on top of the shirt was curled up his beloved dog now let me ask you who was it that was seeking who you might be tempted to say his dog sniffed out the sin of his master but let me point out very quickly it was the master who orchestrated all of the events and left the scent there to be found in the first place it was the master who came back and returned to seek and to save that which was lost. In the same way, it is God who seeks out and saves all sinners. It might appear from our side 
of the tapestry that we are seeking out, seeking him out, but he is seeking us out. Jesus shows us in the story that the Savior seeks sinners in need of a Savior. Indeed, the question today is, have you sniffed out your sin? Have you smelled your sin? Do you know your sin? Do you know that you even need a Savior? Have you any understanding that Jesus, the Savior, is working in your heart and your life to point out to you that you are in great need right now? We see in this passage that the Savior seeks out the sinner. But finally, we see in verses 8 through 10 that the Savior saves the sinner. The Savior saves the sinner. Look at, look at what unfolds. Look at what happens in the midst of, the, in, in the midst of verse 8. Zacchaeus stops and he says to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my possessions I will give to the poor, or I am giving to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone or anything, I am giving back four times as much. I'm already in the process. I know my sin. I see my sin. I understand it's wrong. And I perceive that you are the Savior. You're going to give me a new heart, a new life, and a new path. Jesus, I'm surrendering everything to you. Jesus is with Zacchaeus. He is greatly changed. The reality is he's moved to a point where he repents of what he's done before. He gives everything over to Jesus and says, here, it's all yours anyway. And he responds to God's grace in a way that shocks the culture. He goes far above and beyond what would even be asked. And he voluntarily says, I'll give it all. This indicates that Zacchaeus, he wasn't making a contract. He wasn't working out the details. Have you ever been at that place in your life where you felt Christ calling, but you understand and perceive that he says, if you desire to come after me, you must be willing to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. And you said, you know what? The cost is just too high. It's just too great. There's no way. God, can you lower the standard just a little bit so I can slide into your kingdom? Listen, Zacchaeus didn't want a moment of bickering over how to get into God's kingdom. He was thankful he was in God's kingdom. How about you and I? Are we there? Is that where we are? See, Jesus had changed his heart. He had changed his life. He had changed his actions. Indeed, his decision was voluntary and it flowed out of a heart heart of gratitude for Christ's grace and what he had done for him. And when Jesus meets someone, there is a need for change. And let me say it very clearly. If you say that you have met Jesus and yet there is no change in your life, then I am going to question sincerely whether you have ever met Jesus in the first place. Because when you meet Jesus, things change. He moves you. He changes your mind. He changes your attitude. He changes your actions. William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army, he understood the importance of God, of asking God to change him. And he prayed a prayer recorded like this. Lord, I give you everything there is in this man, William Booth. Do with me what you will. Lord, I give you everything. In this man, do with me what you will. Have you prayed that prayer? See, Hudson Taylor said it this way. If Christ is not Lord of all, then he is not Lord at all. God loves to hear the prayer uh, prayers that go like this because there is biblical 
biblical repentance at the hand, hand in hand, walking hand in hand with biblical conversion every time a lost sinner is saved. And Jesus rejoices. Can't you just hear Jesus rejoicing over Zacchaeus? I mean, he's just left the rich young ruler who says, no, I've heard your call, Jesus. I'm going to keep my stuff and I'm going to go. But here is Zacchaeus, the most unlikely, the least likely of all people in the community of Jericho to hear and receive the call of Jesus. And he responds with, you know what? I'm going to give everything and I'm going to restore everything to those that need to be restored. See, we think we're generous if we're giving God 10%. But the mark of Zacchaeus' transformation and conversion is his staggering generosity. He no longer values money at all because he has inherited the eternal kingdom of God. And so now, before he meets Jesus, money was everything. But now, money is nothing and his Savior is everything. Albert Schweitzer says it this way. If you own something that you cannot give away, then you don't own it. It owns you. This morning, when you hear the call of Jesus to come and to follow Him, to dine with Him, when He calls out, I have come to seek and to save the lost, and I desire to come for you to come into my eternal kingdom, if there is anything or anyone that you are not willing to sacrifice for the Son of God, then understand this, you cannot have part in His eternal kingdom. See, if there's anything or anyone that we can't give up, then we don't own it. It owns us. So salvation has come. Salvation has come. Indeed, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Zacchaeus, you were lost when you got up this morning, when you rolled out of bed, when you walked along the road, when you were in the midst of that tree. But now, Zacchaeus, you have been saved, not by your works, not by your accomplishments, but by the grace of the living God, because I have brought to you life, indeed life that is reflective of that that gift that Ezra talks about there in chapter 34, verses 15 and 16 when he says when the Lord the Yahweh says I myself will tend my sheep and have them lie down declares the sovereign Lord I will search for the lost and bring back the strays I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak don't you praise God that we serve a God who comes after us who seeks out the lost who saves the lost for the mission of Jesus is very clear. He goes after to, after sinners to seek them and to save them. Indeed, Jesus is still on a search, uh, on a searching and saving mission. Indeed, Jesus wants you and I to be on a searching and saving mission as we experience His grace, as we experience His love, as we experience His mercy, as we experience and live in His eternal life. We are now to go and to tell others about it. We are to go and to proclaim and to share with the brokenhearted, with the down and out, those who are morally lost, those who are socially lost, those who are intellectually lost, we are to take the gospel to them. For indeed, Jesus has saved us from our sins. And if He has saved us, who can't He save? Not one person. Pastor, you just don't know where I've been this morning. You just don't know how bad I've been. You know what? You're exactly right. I don't know who you are. I don't know where you are. 
I don't know what you've done, but I know one thing. I know my Jesus. And my Jesus said he came to seek and to save that which was lost. So wherever you are, whatever you've done, whatever you are going through right now, let me tell you without one shadow of a doubt that the same God who saved me is able to save you. The same God who saved Zacchaeus, this this defiled man of Jericho, this degenerate in the midst of this culture, community of Jericho, this man, Jesus, who saves Zacchaeus is the same God who can save you and I today. He knows your pain. He knows your past. He knows your problems. He knows all about you. He knows your failures, your faults, and your flaws. He knows everything you have ever done. And yet he comes and says, come and follow me. You feel this morning like you're spiritually short, like you don't measure up to God's standards? That's okay. Because the truth is, not one person sitting in this room today measures up to the standards of God. But you know who measured up to the standard of God for us? His name was Jesus Christ. And He came and He lived a perfect life, died an atoning death, and rose again in glorious victory so that you and I might, through His grace, His amazing grace, taste and know new and everlasting life. This morning, would you give your heart, would you give your life, To Him. Follow Him. Seek Him. And serve Him. Indeed, we are little sinners. Praise God, He has sent a big Savior. Father, may You lead us and guide us in this time of decision. May we, in these moments, Father, lift Your name on high, praise You and glorify You, and rejoice that You would come to save us from our sin. Lord, let us be willing to give up those things in our life, the hate, the anger, the envy, the uh, covetousness, Father, the, the, the issues uh, of adultery, the issues, uh, Father, uh, of uh, abuse, uh, of substances, Lord, whatever it is that's going on in our hearts and our lives that today, those places where we have fallen short of your standard that makes us little sinners. Father, let us in these moments see a great big Savior and celebrate your amazing grace. May you lead us and guide us in this time of decision. Draw people to yourself. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together for our hymn of invitation. If you have.